Well, today we are beginning a new series, and maybe you found it to be true that the first steps are usually the hardest when you're starting something new, when you're, you're breaking into a, starting a new habit or new patterns in your life. I, I think about babies who are just learning how to walk. I mean, for babies, crawling seems perfectly fine. It gets them from here to there, and, and, uh, the, but the big people in their lives keep wanting them to, to stand up and, and walk, right? And it takes months and months of trying before those first baby steps. And those first baby steps are usually pr- pretty wobbly, and, uh, and, and they're anything but pretty, and they usually end up uh, in a fall. So you one or two steps and then down. I, I mean, one reason uh, that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's difficult for those first few steps is because crawling is easy. Uh, who wouldn't want to s- just settle for crawling everywhere? I-, I-, I mean, it takes a little longer. It's a little bit messier. Uh, you get a little dirtier. And of course, uh, crawling is uh, much less dangerous than walking. I mean, no baby ever hit his head on the, on the corner of a, of a coffee table while he was crawling. Uh, but uh, there's much less risk. There's much less pain. There's much less problem. It's easier. It's more comfortable but but we all know that, that taking those first steps is one of the uh, the biggest milestones in a baby's life and all, although they're a bit awkward and 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 clumsy and difficult those first steps are usually uh, videotaped and posted online and and sent to family and friends and calls are made and it's written in the baby book and and we can look back years later and see the exact date sometimes the exact moment when someone when this baby first walked. Why is that so significant? Well, uh, it's, it's significant because those steps signify great things to come. Every day it gets a little easier, the baby can go a little bit further, and pretty soon crawling is a thing of, a pa- of the past. Uh, only babies crawl. I'm a toddler now, right? And they toddle until, well, I don't know what the exact date is that we're not toddling anymore, but we're just walking out right. What's that? 28, 28 is when we... Sometimes later. So uh, walking, taking those steps, walking is so worth the risk. And so we're pushing those babies to take those steps. Most of you, uh, speaking of steps, most of you have an app on your phone or a thing on your wrist that counts your steps. Whether you knew it or not, it's probably embedded in your in your phone. Um, um, the, the it's keeping track of the steps that you take. And the default goal, I, I think, that, that comes kind of preloaded on that, unless you change it. Uh, they're trying to keep you active, I guess. And, and so you're supposed to average around 10,000 steps a day. And that's actually uh, pretty typical for folks that are, that are uh, uh, moving around throughout the day. Uh, 10,000 steps. If you forget to put the, uh, put the thing on your wrist or you forget to put the, the, the phone on you and you leave it laying down, then you get shamed by that device, right? And they say, be more active. And you go, oh, man, I really should. be." No, wait a minute. I was active. I just didn't carry the thing with me. I, I, I've disabled that app on my phone. I just don't worry about that anymore. Uh, but uh, whether you're keeping track of that or not, you are averaging eh, probably, give or take, you're averaging about 10,000 steps a day. So that's 70,000 steps a week, uh, 3,650,000 steps a year, an estimated... You'll feel really healthy when you hear this. You are, you're estimating, it is estimated that you will walk an average, or the average person will walk over 115,000 miles in your life. So there you go. You're, you're healthy just from being alive and being, and, and being upright. 
So, so, so all those things are in place. The question is, are you using all those steps wisely? So over the next few weeks, uh, inspired by uh, Bill Heibel's book, Just Walk Across the Room. If you don't have this, if you haven't read this, uh, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, uh, probably used. Uh, it, it wasn't written yesterday, so probably pretty cheap. Uh, and I encourage you to read, the, read through that. Um, it, it's full of great, great stories uh, from, from Pastor Bill Hybels at uh, Willow Creek Church in Chicago, uh, basically with the premise that uh, just a few steps across the room, just a few steps across the street or down a hall can impact eternity for someone around you. Taking a few steps and talking with someone about about issues of faith, talking with someone uh, about uh, how God has made a difference in your life, just stepping out from what's comfortable and stepping into their life, uh, just just uh, just ten steps or less, just one tenth of your daily average could change where someone spends eternity. And, and as you begin to realize that's true, it's it's my prayer that it will change the way we walk. Back in the day, maybe still today, in the church, uh, we, we refer to something called personal evangelism. And uh, that's uh, the churchy way of, of uh, freaking everybody out, usually, because uh, usually we, we kind of shy away from that a little bit. And because we get the, the impression, and surveys even indicate more and more, uh, people want us to kind of keep our faith to ourselves. Uh, it, it seems the prevailing notion these days is, uh, you can believe whatever you want, just don't try to force it on me, Right? And, uh, and, and uh, that's fine unless you believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world. Because if you believe that, then you probably can't just keep it to yourself. It all starts as we begin to grasp the, the, the walk that Jesus, God's son, took across the universe for us. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8 uh, uh, highlight that well. He, it, it says, though Christ Jesus was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus was in a wonderfully comfortable place. He was God in heaven, enjoying the fellowship of the Trinity, the, the worship of the angels, and yet he left all of that to step across time and space in order to, as the song says, save a wretch like me. He, he stepped from the comfort zone of heaven to live among sinners, to die on a criminal's cross, all to set us free from sin and to provide the promise of eternal life. And, and it sounds too good to be true, and yet it's the most true reality in the world because Jesus deemed us worthy of stepping out from his, what was his ultimate comfort. We can be forgiven of our sin. We can be saved. We can be redeemed. We can be reconciled with God. And that's true for every person in this room. It's true for every person in this town. It's true for every person in the country, every person in the world, every person who has ever lived or ever will live. Jesus stepped out of heaven to die on a cross so that we can be forgiven of our sin and live an amazing life with him and have the promise of eternity in heaven when we pass from this earth. And if you believe that, if you really believe that, you will be walking across all sorts of rooms to share that good news with the people around you. See, one, one of the most important, probably the most important thing, if you're in sales, some of you are in sales, 
the most, one of the most important things is believing in what you're selling. I had an experience uh, between uh, a couple of years of, uh, of, of college where I got the summer job. I, I, I needed a job. I answered an ad in the paper, uh, showed up. Uh, it was in kind of downtown Columbus, and uh, uh, we, we, uh, are, it's kind of a second-story loft kind of place and some offices up there, and, and, and I discovered that they were, well, they were kind of just, they were looking for a sales for, force of sorts, but... I don't know, we weren't really technically selling anything, but that's kind of what it amounted to. They were, they were hiring people to go door to door to get donations for their cause. And so they, they, uh, we would meet there in late afternoon and, and I don't know, they were, uh, 10 or 15 of us maybe, and uh, then they would, they would have mapped out a neighborhood, a section of the city, and they drove us there. And, uh, then they, they had mapped out where we were, uh, each one of us were supposed to go over the next two hours and, and, uh, we were supposed to, uh, uh, go with, uh, go to get donations and signatures for, for this cause. So we were armed with a clipboard and a memorized script and a, and a goal of how many signatures and how many dollars we were supposed to get in over the course of those couple hours. I was that guy. That guy that knocks on your door, rings your bell, and gives you the spiel, and you pretend you're not there, or you answer in your underwear so they'll go away, or whatever, whatever you do to get those spiel. I was that guy for about three weeks, actually. It didn't last all that long. Because, I mean, I can look back on it now, and I'm secure enough to admit it. I, I wasn't real good at it. I didn't get fired. I quit before they could fire me. But, uh, I mean, I, I had the script memorized, and I stood nice and tall, and I looked them in the eye, and I presented what I needed to present, but I wasn't very effective in getting anyone to donate, uh, probably had something to do with the fact that to this day, back then for sure, and to this day now, I'm still not quite sure what, what, I, was, what I was getting people to, to give to and to sign on the dotted line for. Uh, I mean, I, it, was, it was something political, I think. Uh, looking back on it anyway, I realize, I'm pretty sure it was something that, that I, I wouldn't necessarily sign on the dotted line for myself. Um, and uh, I, I was usually pretty surprised when someone would say, yeah, I'll give you 10 bucks for that. Really? <laughs> cool. Great. Okay. Uh, good. And uh, I, I mean, it was just a summer job. Well, really like a three-week job. And uh, then I went to painting houses the rest of the summer. But it, 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 I wasn't very good at it because I didn't understand and I didn't believe in what I was selling. It's kind of the, the number one thing if you're going to be effective in sales. Now, I'm not uh, trying to relegate uh, personal evangelism to sales tactics, but, but some of the principles still apply. You see, if you truly believe that people will be better off by buying what you're selling, then you'll be effective in sales. And if you and I are ever going to be effective in introducing people to Jesus, we first have to truly believe it ourselves. Uh, do you believe in the saving message of Jesus? Do you believe that the people will be better off living a life with him? I mean, it's not just something that I, that I study and that I, that I preach. It's not just a, a degree that I have. Uh, I mean, even if I wasn't up here, uh, I still believe this stuff. It's, it's what drives my, my whole life is, is patterned around uh, what uh, God has done for me, 
what God has done for us. It's, he, is, he is my reason. He is my hope. He is my song. It is, it is who I am because I find my identity in him. It's, it's, this, is, this is the core of what we believe. If we really believe it, then it's going to flow out of our lives into the lives of other people. Bill Hybels in the, in the book says this, In my experience, the people who find themselves taking walks across rooms have first landed on belief, on the belief that the God they know is worth knowing. They have cultivated a heart posture that says, well, of course everyone I know would want this type of relationship with God. I ab- I'm absolutely sure you'd all love what I'm experiencing here. So we have to ask ourselves, is the God that I know worth knowing? Have you, have you benefited from your relationship with God? Would someone else benefit from having a relationship with God? If you believe that, then you'll start taking steps to share him with other people. Another uh, theologian professor uh, put it this way, the highest and best use of a human life is to have it serve as a signpost that points people toward God. If you really believe in the redeeming and transforming power of God's presence in a person's life, then the single greatest gift you can give someone is an explanation of how to be rightly connected to him. Because Jesus took the ultimate walk to meet us where we are, we must be taking walks to meet the people around us where they are so they can experience God's love and forgiveness too. It's our primary motivation uh, to take steps uh, because, because of what God has done for us. We have the motivation to help others experience that too. In, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, uh, Christ's love compels us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, because that's true, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's or people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Powerful, powerful words. Uh, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, as we are changed by the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves, then we begin to look at people around us with an eternal perspective. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. It's kind of a sobering thought. So so as we're doing that, we recognize that we are ambassadors for God in this world where we live. We're representing God to the people that we meet. Ambassadors, uh, uh, someone who works as an ambassador from one country to another. Uh, several things are, are true about that, and you see that up there on the screen. They, they, uh, an ambassador represents the one who, who sends them. Uh, the ambassadors are on temporary assignment, and they're not at home. They're living in a place that's, that's uh, not their home. 
They're, they're, so they're not coming up with the message themselves. They're not making it, making it up themselves. They're not responsible for the message. They're simply representing the entity or the person or the people that have, have sent them. Uh, it's a temporary assignment. They're only there for a short amount of time. And when they're there, they're not at home. And it's probably a little bit weird, right? And it's probably not, it's, it's like, man, oh, it's not, it's not at home. It's not home. So if we are ambassadors for God, then we're representing him to the people that we meet. It's a, it's a, it's not our message. It's his message. And we're just sharing that message with the people around us. It's a temporary assignment where, where this, this life will end someday and we're not at home. This is a foreign land We're we're in this world, but not of this world. It's not comfortable because it's not home. And it's, so it's, it's a little bit difficult. We're, we're ambassadors for God. It's, it's kind of hard to take those steps out of our comfort and to, uh, to in, in Heibel's uh, metaphor here that we're using, to walk across the room to in, engage and encounter other people. I, I'm not going to go around the room, but I'll just be honest. Uh, I still get a little bit nervous and my heart beats a little bit faster and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say and sometimes I trip over my words when it's time to share my faith or to speak up about this or that or whatever. It's a whole lot easier to just kind of keep quiet or to, to move on or to direct the conversation in a, in a different direction. And, and I'm a professional Christian, right? So, uh, uh, it's, it's not the most comfortable thing to do to take walks across rooms. You're stepping out of what's comfortable. You're walking across the room. It's kind of like the, the, the baby uh, that's, that's moving from crawling to, I mean, crawling is easy. Crawling is comfortable. Crawling gets me where I need to go eventually. Yeah, there's some difficulties there, but, but uh, crawling works. It's comfortable. If I'm walking, sometimes it's awkward and sometimes it's painful and, and uh, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. So, so why would we step out? Why would we take the risk? Well, we take risks in anything in life. We take risks when we think that it's worth it, right? When the, uh, when the, when the potential reward outweighs the risk, then we go ahead and risk, usually. Some people risk just for fun, I guess, too. But, uh, uh, the, the majority of the time, we're stepping out to take risks because we think it's worth it. The reward for the baby is that he or she begins a lifetime of walking. The reward for you and me when we walk across the room and encounter someone in a conversation of of faith is that we just might have the chance to introduce them to the God that we love and the God that loves us. We might just have the chance to help nudge them toward eternity. I think it's worth the risk. So the question is, how do we do this? Well, we'll talk about some of those things uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, um, you know, a lot of times and in the church in the past, they've pushed certain programs or certain, certain ways of doing things. I mean, should we memorize the Romans road of salvation? Should we follow the master's plan for personal evangelism? Should we lay out the four spiritual laws? Should we hand out tracts at the door when you go out here and, and uh, you lay them on the table and uh, along with your tip at lunchtime? I, uh, there's a story I, I heard recently about a Christian barber who had been to revival services and was very convicted that he wasn't doing much to share his faith. And so uh, coming out of those revival services, the folks at the church said, well, we're planning this, uh, this uh, uh, session, this eight-week thing uh, where, where we're teaching personal evangelism. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. And he joined that. They called it the soul winner's class. And he, he jumped in and, and uh, he took copious notes and he memorized Bible verses and he read and re- rehearsed the materials. And, and after the eight weeks, he uh, finished with flying colors and they presented him with a certificate and he had, he was certified in personal evangelism 
And so the next morning, that barber, certificate in hand, opened his shop and put that certificate in a prominent place. And then he prayed this prayer, dear Lord, help me to witness to the first person to come through that door this morning. And minutes later, in walked the biggest, meanest, foulest man the barber had ever seen. And, and the man, uh, through conversation, explained that, uh, that he had lost a bet with some of his biker buddies, and now he had to have his head shaved. That's the whole reason he was there. And so this barber kind of shrunk back a little bit and didn't feel real comfortable quoting the Roman's Road to a man with Hell's Angels tattooed on the back of his neck. So he kind of, he, he backed off and he didn't say anything. And the rest of the day didn't go any better for this barber. And by five o'clock, he was ashamed to admit that he had not shared his faith with a single person. And so he bowed his head and he said, I'm sorry, Lord, if you'll just give me one more opportunity, I promise I'll do my part. And just as he was saying amen to that prayer, the little bell on the, the door rang and, and uh, in came this pleasant looking gentleman and he smiled at the barber and he apologized for coming in right at closing time and he, he asked for a quick shave. And so the barber draped the man in his cape and, and as he, he, he tried to remember, he got all nervous and he's trying to remember what he's supposed to say now after uh, all these classes and this whole day of, of failure now, uh, I promised I'm going to say, I'm going to do it, but his mind was blank and he, he got confused and he's trying to remember what, what, uh, what comes first in the presentation and, and he, as he's putting the shaving cream on the man's face, he starts kind of sweating a little bit, not, not knowing that he needed to say something, but not quite sure what he needed to say. He couldn't remember any of those verses that he'd memorized. And, and, and then, of course, they get that leather, uh, leather strap and he gets the, the straight razor and he's doing all this and he's, oh, what do I, what do I say? What do I? And finally, he takes that razor and he looks at the man and he says, are you prepared to die? We can make it pretty complicated, and we can get all flustered. Certainly, there are some pointers and, and even strategies that can help us in, in, in sharing our faith. But the best practice for taking walks across rooms, for speaking up for Jesus, for sharing our faith with others, I think can be summed up in the few words uh, of, of Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And it says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing our lives, if, if, if we are in step with the Spirit, not out of step with the Spirit, not heading this way when the Holy Spirit's heading that way, if we are living in step with the Spirit, we will take walks across rooms and enter into opportunities where we can lead people toward Jesus. If you are following the Holy Spirit's promptings, he will not lead you lead you astray. So the key to being, a, being an effective ambassador for Jesus is to fine-tune your, your spiritual ears to hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We, we go back to uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, and, and he gathered up, and, and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? What is the primary reason that Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come on them? Is so they would have power to witness about him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The main reason the Holy Spirit was given was so that we could point people to Jesus. And wherever the Holy Spirit leads us, whether it's across the room or around the world, that's the deal. That's it. That's, That's why we're here, to be witnesses. And we do that as we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. 
So what does a prompting of the Holy Spirit look like? It could be a thought that you can't get rid of. It, it, it could be a, a verse that jumps off the page as you're reading scripture in the, uh, sometime as you're, 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 you're walking through the scriptures. It, it could be a, a, an urge that, uh, that, that grows as you spend time in prayer. It, it could be a quick nudge in the middle of a conversation. Hey, you need to say this. Hey, it would, uh, it would be helpful if you said that. It could be an unexpected opportunity and all of a sudden I have this chance to, to, to go here or to do this or to talk to this person. I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit is prompting all the time. I'm probably missing it a lot of the time. And I'm guessing we all are. I read another story of a guy who, who prayed every morning, Lord, if you want me to witness to someone today, uh, give me a sign. Later that day, he was on the bus coming home from work. And um, a rather inebriated gentleman uh, Kind of, kind of smelled uh, torn clothes. Kind of loud. Stumbled up the steps of the bus and down the aisle. The bus is virtually empty, but he chose to sat right next to sit right next to this gentleman. And uh, so this guy kind of tried to ignore him and and moved on about his day. And and uh, then this this man, after he'd been on the bus a couple of minutes, uh, started to started to cry a little tear or two. And then he began to weep, and then he sobbed, and he said, I need to be saved. I am, I'm a lost sinner, and I need the Lord. Won't someone tell me how to be saved? And then he turned to the, this Christian person who had prayed in the morning, give me a sign, and, and, uh, and, and he pleaded with him, can you show me how to be saved? And this man immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? Signs aren't usually, promptings of the Spirit aren't usually that blatant. But if... If we're looking, we'll sense where the Holy Spirit is moving. And as we, what I've found that as we try to keep in step with the Spirit, yeah, we'll fall down sometimes and we might not keep up sometimes or we might head in a different direction, but over time, day in and day out, year in and year out, it gets easier and easier and easier to walk in step with the Spirit. What if we were looking for the Holy Spirit's promptings throughout the day? What if, what if we prayed, Father, use me today to point someone toward you. If you want me to speak up, I'll do it. If you want me to start a conversation, I will. If you want me to shut up, I'll do that too. If you want me to serve someone and show them your love, just lead me today. Are we, are we in step with the Spirit? I, put it in your own words, but, but uh, look for the leading of the Holy Spirit. You, you might get it wrong. You, it might seem like you didn't do any good. But being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life is never wasted. I think that personal evangelism in, in years past and, and maybe even today, uh, I, I think we have this, com- uh, this, this notion that it means it's strictly helping someone to take that step across the, across the line, so to speak. Uh, step uh, across from, from darkness to light, from sin to salvation. Uh, that's the, that's the, 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 what it means to enter into and be successful in personal evangelism. It's great when you get a chance to do that, but I think there's so much more to it. Ah, maybe it's just that it's early August and I've started thinking toward fall and I've started thinking toward football. I, I don't know, but uh, that, that comes to mind as I, as I think about that. I mean, first preseason game is Thursday, right? Yeah, we're not excited about that. It's just the Browns. But um, in just a few weeks... Teams from Biddy League on up to the pros will be taking the field and, and heading out and 
starting their seasons. So, so I guess I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about what does, what, what does it take? Let's, let's picture in our heads of the, that, that team that receives the first kickoff of the brand new season and they, then they send out their offense and they start working the ball down the field, right? And, and sometimes the running back, uh, takes the ball and, and makes some yards as the offensive line makes blocks and allows them to, to, to get a few yards. On other plays, the quarterback drops back and, and throws a pass and the, the receiver has, uh, run his route and uh, catches the ball, and they, they go down the field, and, and uh, the plays are coming in from the coaches, and, and the, uh, the, the, there's a, 11 folks on the field at any one time, but uh, what, 30, 40-plus on the sidelines cheering them on, and they've been working together in practice uh, for, for weeks leading up to that. You've got the folks up in the booth that are seeing the whole thing and sending things down to the sideline, and, and uh, you've got, got all this stuff going on. And then, then at some point, if all goes well, uh, probably not on Thursday night, but at some point, uh, if all goes well, someone crosses the goal line and they score a touchdown. That is success in Cleveland football, even if it's just once a season or so. We've got a touchdown on our... Someone crosses the goal line. So then my, my question is, who was the, the more important person in scoring that touchdown? Was it, was it the guy with the ball that actually stepped across the line? Well, pretty important. Uh, was it the guy who, uh, who, who made the great block so that the defender couldn't stop him and he got across it? Well, that's pretty important. Couldn't have done it without that. Maybe it was the, the, the coach who called in that play and worked at just the right time and worked the strategy just right. Or maybe it was the guys up in the booth. Or maybe it was the, the practice that they worked on that specific play all week long. And, and the, uh, the other folks that, that helped, uh, to, to hone the skills of the first team and, and all, maybe it was the receiver, uh, five plays ago that, that made the important play on third down that got him the first down that kept the drive alive. It was, I mean, I say all that to say it was a team effort, right? You can't just point to that one person and say, that's the most important person to score that touchdown. Everyone doing what they needed to do at just the right time in just the right way, and it accomplishes great things. I think I'm not out of line to say that personal evangelism, sharing our faith, being people of God, being the ambassadors of God in the world where we live, looks a little bit like that. Sometimes we get to help people step across the line from darkness to light, from, from sin to, to, to salvation, from death to life. We, we, we get to be a part of that and it's a, it's a great moment and, and we, we celebrate and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing and, and folks come to faith and they, the eyes are, their eyes are opened and, and they accept Christ and it's a great moment. Other times, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Other times, we get to move them a yard or two closer, but they're not anywhere close to the end zone yet. As, as we're faithful to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, he directs the process. And, and some people are, are so far away from, from knowing Jesus, all they can handle is a little nudge in the right direction. Maybe a word or two, or maybe, maybe uh, uh, expressing love to them that they didn't see coming, and all of a sudden their, their heart begins to be softened, softened just a little bit. And then someone else, a, a day or, t- or two, or a week or two, or a month or two later, might be uh, brought in by the Holy Spirit into that person's life to draw them a little bit closer, and a little bit closer, and a little bit closer. As the Holy Spirit directs our lives, our success comes in our obedience to him. So so the question is, are you willing to stay in step with the Spirit or are you content to remain comfortable? 
If we step out of our comfort zone, we could step into someone else's life and it might not even seem like it makes much of a difference, but we trust God and we trust his leading. And as we're, as we're faithful to and obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that it's not our job to save people. It's our job to walk in step with the Spirit. God is the one who guides and directs and leads in someone's own heart. We just are faithful to do what he calls us to do. As Bill Hybels says, the key is this. My objective is not to contrive ways to, quote, get someone saved. Rather, my objective is to walk when he prompts me to walk, talk when he says to talk, fall silent when I'm at risk of saying too much, and stay put when he leads me to stay put. I'm going to read that again. It is not my objective to contrive ways to get someone saved. Rather, my objective is to walk when he prompts me to walk, to talk when he says to talk, fall silent when I'm at risk of saying too much, and to stay put when he leads me to stay put. And and so my challenge for you over the the rest of this month, we've got uh, three and a half weeks left of this month. My challenge to you is to pray every, every morning as I'm going to be praying every morning. Father, use me today to point someone toward you. It's written there at the, the, on the bottom of your outline there in the back of your bulletin. Uh, maybe you need to transfer that to a note card that gets on your, your mirror, or maybe you need to put it as a reminder in your phone. And when, when your phone shames you for not doing enough steps, maybe it'll, maybe you can tell it to, uh, to tell you to, uh, uh, point someone toward, toward him. Pray that prayer and, and I'm, I'm excited to hear what God's going to do in and through you in the lives that you live at school and at, uh, at your job and in your neighborhood and in the store and, and uh, where, wherever God leads you, what he's going to do through you as the Holy Spirit prompts you to take walks across rooms.